like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. You know, I, I just love Christmas. I love the trees, the lights, the food. I love the I love all the things about, I love to see grandchildren and children who are young with eyes that wide cannot, who cannot wait for Christmas Day or Christmas Eve whenever your family gives presents. However, the thing I love most about Christmas is that God the Son became a human being and he came to this planet to seek and to save the lost. He came to this planet to give us a genuine, authentic hope that transcends time. Now that word hope is an interesting word. We often use that word hope to express a wish. There are a lot of little boys and girls in this room today and across Carvel who are wishing for certain things on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. They're wishing that their grandparents would get them this present, or, or they're wishing that all that they dream about would be under the tree and they could enjoy. But you know, in the Bible, this word hope is used in a totally different way. It refers to a confident expectation that God's going to do something in our lives that transcends this world. It, the Bible calls it an anchor of hope in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, it, it's important that we understand that the hope that God provides for this world and for you is found only in Jesus only in Jesus. Throughout the Christmas season, the sermons will zero in on one of the names that come directly out of he, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. There are four names there. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there's four sermons in this series and the series will revolve around this theme, Jesus, the hope for a weary world. Hey, we live in a weary world, don't we? We live in a world that's rife with war and rumors of wars. We live in a world that's rife with immorality and impurity and sin. We live in a world that is in desperate need of what only Jesus Christ can provide. But that's not only true of our world. That was true of Isaiah's world around 725 BC. That's before Christ was ever born. Isaiah the prophet had been given the responsibility of proclaiming God's word to King Ahaz and the nation of Judah. It was not an easy job that God gave him to do. During that time, a spiritual cancer was eating away internally in the lives of God's covenant people. They were worshiping idols. 
Now, you know, as God's people, they should not be worshiping idols. They should be worshiping the one true God. They were involved in immorality. They were involved in all kinds of occult things. They were going to mediums to get direction and guidance for their lives. At the same time, they were panicking because of an external threat of vicious enemies who wanted to destroy them. We, we see that happening today here in 2023. It seems like Israel always has a group of enemies who want to wipe them off the face of the planet. That was true in Isaiah's day, and that's true in our day. At the same time, Isaiah was given this very simple message to preach to Ahaz, King Ahaz, and the people of Judah, turn back to God before it's too late. Turn back to God. Now, a rejection of this message would involve God's judgment upon his covenant people. In fact, I want you to look at, at uh, Isaiah chapter 8, and I'd like to read to you verses 19 to 22 that sort of describes the day and the time and what Isaiah was dealing with. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, that's, that's the occult. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony if they do not speak according to your word, it is because they have no dawn, no light. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. That's not a pretty picture, is it? But that's what was awaiting God's covenant people because of their rejection of God, because of their idolatry, because of their involvement in the occult. And then we go to chapter 9. In chapter 9, it's a totally different picture. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. But, I, I tell you, one of the great words in the Bible is the word but, B-U-T. Because it, 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 it presents us a, a contrast, an amazing stark contrast here from darkness to light. Look at it. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And, and here, Isaiah is prophesying that one day, one day, the light of salvation will shine upon the covenant people. Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. Here he's saying there will be great joy among God's covenant people one day. 
And then he goes on to say, as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the day of Midian. There'll be freedom from oppression for God's covenant people. What a picture, what a beautiful picture of hope. And, and then the verse five, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning and fuel for the fire. You know what God's prophesying here? God's saying one day there'll be no more war, no more war. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful truth that Isaiah was able to preach to the covenant people of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something today. I want you to understand that the Jewish Messiah would be the only genuine hope for Israel. And he is the only genuine hope for the weary world that we live in today. You know, one man made this statement. He said, hope is the oxygen of the soul. Hope, the oxygen of the soul. What a picture. Why is he so great and powerful that he was given four names right here in chapter 9, verse 6? Look at it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That little statement, for a child will be born to us, speaks of the Messiah's humanity. You see, chapter 9, verse 6 is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible that describes the, the reign and the life of Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that God promised. It speaks of the Messiah's humanity. Jesus was fully human. He, he felt what we feel. He experienced what we experienced. He hurt like we hurt. He wept like we weep from time to time. However, unlike us, he never sinned. He never sinned not even one single time in his life. Because you see, in order for him to sacrifice himself for our sins, he had to be the perfect sacrifice. And, and then the Bible says, and a son will be given to us. This speaks of the Messiah deity. He was fully human and he was fully God. He came to reveal God to us. He came to conquer sin and death and to save us from our sins. John Phillips made this statement. He said, the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding deity or distorting humanity. What a statement. But that's the Lord Jesus, that's the Messiah. And then he said, and the government will rest on his shoulders. You know what that's a picture of? Isaiah is saying one day, one day, this Messiah will rule the whole world. One day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And then Isaiah reveals to us the four names of this Messiah. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Messiah with four names. And each of these names sum up the nature and character of Messiah. This morning, I want to take the first name and unpack it for you. The name of the Jewish Messiah that would bring hope to a weary world was Wonderful Counselor. Now that word wonderful in the Hebrew refers to a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human understanding. It describes something that is so supernatural and miraculous that it causes us to be absolutely stunned with awe. This same word, Hebrew word, was used in Judges chapter 13, 18. Manoah and his wife had prayed for a son. They were old and, and, and they were way past childbearing age. And an angel from God appeared to them and said that they were going to have a son. And in Judges chapter 13, verse 18, Manoah asked what the name of the angel was. And here's how the angel responded. But the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. The same Hebrew word used right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's wonderful. It's beyond anything that you could understand with your peanut human mind. This describes not only what the Lord Jesus does, it describes who he is. He's the wonderful counselor. Now, the word counselor speaks of Messiah's infinite wisdom and the perfect direction he provides for our lives. You understand that there are good counselors and there are bad counselors. And you gotta be careful who you listen to in this day and time. A good counselor will always lead you in the right direction. But even good human counselors are, are flawed from one time to the other, at one time or the other, and they can give you bad advice. But I'll tell you, the wonderful counselor, the Messiah himself, will never, not even one time, lead you astray. He'll give you good advice. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says, Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Good, solid counseling is essential for each of us from time to time. But again, we need to make sure that our counselors or giving us the right advice. How, how could we possibly ignore any advice that the wonderful counselor would give to us? You, you say, well, how does a wonderful counselor give us advice? Well, he gives us advice through his word. He gives us advice through circumstances. He gives us advice through godly men and women who speak into our lives. He always provides the advice we need for the challenges we face. 
the prophet would elaborate on this name later on in the same book that bears his name in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Isaiah wrote, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, who? The Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. The New Testament itself speaks of the incredible wisdom that the Lord Jesus possesses. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, the Bible said, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul wrote, in Christ who are in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you, do you understand what the Bible's saying? The Bible says that every bit of wisdom that is true wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. He's got it all. And no matter what you face in your life, no matter what challenge you may be facing today, I promise you the wonderful counselor can give you the advice that you need and all you got to do is listen to him and obey him. Just listen to Jesus and obey him. We live in a chaotic world. We live in a world where good is called evil. And evil is called good. Listen, there's no shortage of people who will give you advice. None. People will give you advice whether you ask for it or not. Have you noticed that? And you've got to be very careful who you listen to. And you've got to make sure. Here's the question you've got to ask yourself. What is their source of wisdom? You better ask that. You better know that before you listen to them and do what they tell you to do or what they advise you to do. What is their source of wisdom? Secular, worldly wisdom is foolishness in the eyes of God. You say, now why are you saying that, Pastor? I'll tell you why I'm saying it, because it's right here in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. So here, here's what I want to drop in your heart today. Listen, as we look at this name, Wonderful Counselor, here's a challenge for each of us. Listen to Jesus and obey him. It's simple. Listen to Jesus and obey him. Why? Why, you say? Because he's a wonderful counselor. He'll give you great advice every single time you go to him and seek his wisdom and his knowledge about a matter that you face. He know, by the way, he knows everything about you. Did you know that? Now, I tell you, if I'm going to a counselor, I want to go to one who knows me inside and out. Listen to what the Bible says about our Lord in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. Same Hebrew word used for wonderful counselor. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. No counselor could possibly know you like the wonderful counselor knows you. He longs to help you make the right decisions. He longs to help you find the abundant life that he promises to those who believe in him, who will listen to him and obey him. Now, one of the frustrations I have as a pastor, I'm just going to give you a pet peeve. It's when people come to me for counseling. Now, I am not the wonderful counselor. I am flawed. But I'll tell you what I do. When people come to me for counseling, I don't give them my opinion because my opinion is useless. I go to the word of God, I listen to them. I go to the word of God and I share with them principles from the word of God. And I say, look, listen to me. If you will take these principles and apply them to your life in this particular situation that you're dealing with, I believe the Lord will help you find victory. And then a week later, I see them somewhere at El Perton or, or Walmart, somewhere. I see them somewhere and I ask, how's it going? Well, it's not going good, Pastor. And I say, did you do what we talked about you need, you need to do? <laughs> they drop their head and they don't do it. I can't imagine how frustrated Jesus must be with us sometime when he shows us in his word exactly what we need to do in a particular situation in our life. We're facing a problem. We're facing a difficulty. He shows us in his word what we do, and we ignore it. Listen to Jesus and obey him. Listen to Psalm 32, verse 8. The Bible says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, when I read that, that blessed my heart. You see that last part? The Lord says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do you realize that the eyes of the Lord are never averted from you? Do you realize he's always watching you? He loves you. He wants the best for you. And he would never give you any kind of of advice that was contrary to his will, his way, or his purpose. He's always right on target. Now, believe me, he knows you. His eyes are glued to you. He wants the best for you. And he can and will direct you when you are, listen, For the next few moments, I I want us to drop in on a counseling session that Jesus had. In fact, three counseling sessions that Jesus had. You said, Pastor, Jesus never had any counseling sessions. 
Oh, he did. Now, he, doesn't have a, a she, he didn't have a shingle out there in the first century saying that he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But he's a wonderful counselor, right? And let's drop in first with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a leading Pharisee. And he came to Jesus and he was confused. He was very confused. And he came to Jesus and, and, and he wanted to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus saw right through his religious veneer and he spoke this powerful word into the heart of Nicodemus before he could hardly utter a word. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you see, Nicodemus was confused. He was a good Jew. In fact, he was a religious leader. And he thought if he kept the Jewish law, if he checked all the boxes of the Jewish religion, that he could go to heaven when he died. But Jesus absolutely obliterated that confused logic that Nicodemus was living with. He wanted him to know that no one goes to heaven based on their devotion to religion or their own self-righteousness. The wonderful counselor wanted him to know that he must put his faith in the Lord Jesus. In fact, later on in that same chapter, Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Nicodemus heard this. And it seems like there was not anything immediately that happened in his life. But do you know when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, where was Nicodemus? He was there asking for the body of Jesus. He was there taking care of the body of Jesus. I believe that Nicodemus was born again, not because he kept the Jewish law, not because he went to the temple, not because he tithed. He was saved because he put his faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus cleared up his confusion. Many of you are confused about something in your life in the religious realm. Many of you are confused like Nicodemus, and you think you've bought into the idea that you can be saved by being good, making sure your good works outweigh your bad works. It's a lie. It's worldly wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. Jesus wants to clear up your confusion. He wants you to know that if you want to go to heaven, you've got to believe in him. Later on in this same book of John, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Wow. Counseling session number one. The wonderful counselor will direct you when you are confused. The wonderful counselor can and will direct you, number two, when you are overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed today? Are you stressed out today? Many people during the Christmas season are absolutely stressed out. Jesus and his disciples drop in on Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The story is found in Luke chapter 10. 
Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus and she's taking in every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. You know where Martha is? She's in the kitchen. I can see her. She's slinging wet, sweat everywhere. She's preparing food, a five-course lunch for, for these dignitaries who've come to her house, the Messiah and the disciples. And, and I tell you, every minute that passes by, she's getting more and more perturbed at Mary. Where's Mary? Seated at the feet of Jesus. And you know what Martha does? Martha comes to Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Then tell her to help me. Now you can just read between the lines there, can't you? This sister was ticked. And in his wisdom, the Lord Jesus got to the core issue in Martha's life. I I tell you, the wonderful counselor He cuts through the fluff of our lives and he gets to the core issue of our lives really quick because he knows us perfectly. You see, her priorities were out of order. In Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, Jesus said this to Martha. He said, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Just a repeating of her name must have really cut through the ice there. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know what Jesus is saying to Martha? Martha, chill out. Chill out. We don't need a five-course lunch. Just make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and we'll be fine. Cut back on what you're doing. Take the pressure off, Martha. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you overwhelmed and stressed out this Christmas? Listen to the wonderful counselor. Let some stuff go. A lot of the stuff that we're stressed out and overwhelmed about is not important anyway. We, we put it on ourselves. We have these high expectations that if we don't do this and if we don't do that and if we don't do that, then people are going to be disappointed in us. Let, let's, let me tell you this. If you'll remember this, it'll make a difference in your life. If you please Jesus, it does not matter who you displease. If you displease Jesus, it doesn't matter who you please. So let's just make a deal here today. Let's listen to the wonderful counselor and obey him. Let's make sure that we put Jesus number one in our lives. He's number one. 
ahead of anybody else, ahead of our spouse, ahead of our kids, ahead of our grandkids, ahead of our parents. Number one is Jesus. Listen, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, listen, I want you to understand, if your relationship with Jesus is not right, no other relationship in your life will ever be right. You see, Mary wanted to be there with Jesus. In the Bible, my, my life verse is John 15, 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So let's make sure this Christmas season that Jesus has first place in our lives. Get our priorities straight. So the wonderful counselor can and will direct us when we are confused. He can and will direct us when we are overwhelmed. And number three, I want you to see that the wonderful counselor can and will direct you when you feel, number three, like a failure. A failure. There's some of you in this room, there's some watching live stream, and you feel like a failure. Do you know what the enemy does? The enemy drags up our past, stuff that we've, we're forgiven for, stuff that's under the blood of Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says when you believe in Jesus, he forgives your sins and he casts it into the depths of the sea, your sins. The Bible says he separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And yet, the enemy comes and he reminds you of a sin you committed 10 years ago that's under the blood of Jesus, that's totally forgiven, and you feel like a failure all over again. And you're listening to the wrong voice. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the word of our Lord, he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a born-again believer, you can't be a failure. You cannot be a failure. Let's think about this just a moment. Think about Peter. One of the key leading disciples, Peter and John. And when Jesus was being tried in that kangaroo court at Caiaphas' house, the high priest, Peter was out in the courtyard. You know what Jesus told Peter? He said, before the the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And boom, he denied Jesus. Boom, he denied Jesus. Boom, he denied Jesus. The rooster crowed. And the Bible says he realized what he had done, and he wept bitterly. He felt like a failure. And then when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he reached out to Peter and reminded him of something that's very important for all of us to hear. Failure is not final. It's not final. In John 21, 17, the Bible says that Jesus met with Peter and John and some of the disciples, and he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, that's Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He's saying, Peter, I'm not through with you. I'm going to use you to the day you die. You're going to bring glory to me. You're going to advance my kingdom. And Peter didn't know it at the time, but he would be the one who would preach the gospel in Cornelius' house, and a group of Gentiles would hear the gospel and be saved. Peter, this one who thought he was a failure, and Jesus had to remind him, our failures are not final. Let me ask you, do you consider yourselves a failure? Are you discouraged, even depressed? Listen to the wonderful counselor. Turn to him and serve him with all your heart. Know that, that he wants you to be right with him. He will help you to get right with him. And he will use you again. For many of you, the need for a capable, competent, and compassionate counselor has never been as great as it is today. You're facing some things that are tough. It could be a financial nightmare in your life. It, it could be a, a marriage relationship issue. It could be a prodigal child that is off in the far country of sin. It could be a, a myriad of things, and you're facing these things, and you need counseling. I, I have a recommendation. Go to the wonderful counselor. Listen to him and do exactly what he tells you to do. Christmas is profoundly personal and meaningful because the Messiah stepped into history to give us hope and to show us how to live. The Lord Jesus Christ, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope for a weary world. He's not a hope for a weary world. He is the hope for a weary world. He is the wonderful counselor. Listen to him and obey him. Some of you here today are feeling confused like Nicodemus. You're confused about what it takes to be saved. Listen to Jesus. Obey him. He said, if you believe in me, I'll give you eternal life. And today I'm inviting you to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Believe in him with all your heart. Come to Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team and our staff to come. And we're going to have a moment here where, where we're going to worship and you can respond to what the wonderful counselor has revealed to you through his word today. There's some of you who need to be saved. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Oh, he loves you. He knows you. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. The Bible says it's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance. So if you're feeling confused like Nicodemus, come to Jesus today. Or if you're feeling overwhelmed like Martha, I know that many of you are feeling overwhelmed by the challenges of life. I want to invite you to come to this altar 
and just bow before the Lord and cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He's a compassionate counselor. He doesn't just give you advice. He can fix your problem if you let him. And then maybe you're here today and you're feeling like a failure like Peter did. And the enemy has been beating you to a pulp. Satan has been reminding you over and over again about a mistake you made before you were saved. And you need to come. You need to bow this altar. You need to say to the wonderful counselor, Lord, I believe you. You say that you've forgiven my sin and you separate it from me as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I believe you. And I stake my hope and future on you and what you say, Lord. And I'm going to walk out of this church today free. I'm not going to listen to the enemy anymore. I'm going to listen to the wonderful counselor. Lord, help me. I tell you, he'll help you. But we've got to listen to Jesus and obey him. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us. Lord, we live in a crazy, weary world. And we pray, Lord, today that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is called the Counselor, Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make the wonderful counselor Jesus real in our hearts and minds. I pray that those are, who are confused like Nicodemus would come to Christ in saving faith today. I pray that those who are overwhelmed like Martha would come and, and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and put Jesus first in their hearts and lives. And I pray that those who are feeling like a failure, as Peter did, would come and stake their belief on what the Word of God says, what the wonderful counselor has said through the Word, and they walk out of here free, absolutely free, and brimming with hope, which is the oxygen of their soul. Oh, God, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name.